0: Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. We are in episode five. We are in the doctor's opinion. This is where step one is from. I am so grateful for the opportunity to do this. It's been a long day, nonstop day, and I knew I was going to be sitting down with you in the big book, and I looked forward to it because I needed to be centered. So the doctor's opinion is... It used to be in the first edition what started page one, and it got moved, and now it's part of the Roman numerals, and one of the members of Alcoaxonomis that I've listened to who's really centered in the book believes that when they moved this that they could date and look at the changes in the recovery in the rooms because people were not reading about what our real problem was. And they were starting right into Bill's story and they weren't learning about step one and the physical allergy and the mental obsession, which is what we got from the doctor's opinion. So I love this chapter. It's sacred and I'm excited to get into it. On the top of the page I wrote the problem. And next to that I wrote physical allergy and mental obsession. So the problem, and I wrote physical allergy and mental obsession. And underneath that, I made a little star, and I wrote, have to understand the problem in order to do something about it. Have to understand the problem in order to do something about it. So I cannot do anything about, I cannot fix something if I don't know what the problem is. And I need to understand it and I need to understand why I have a physical allergy and a mental obsession, like why I need to do certain things. And if I don't understand that and I just accept, oh, I'm an alcoholic because I say I am, and then I'm asked to do this inventory work day in and day out and I don't understand that that is to clear away the mental obsession so it doesn't get blocked off from my higher power and I know what to do, then I'm never gonna wanna do it consistently. And the other thing I wrote on the top of the page, I wrote the word plan and I wrote a detailed proposal for achieving something because they talk about the word plan. So the definition I wrote down is a detailed proposal for achieving something. So I need to know what's wrong with me. I need to know what the solution is and I need a detailed solution and I need guidance, a structured step-by-step guidance, because I do not know what I'm doing. So, step one, the doctor's opinion. We, that's the first 100 men and women, that's the f- we in the book, of alcoholics anonymous, believe that the reader, which is me and you, will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. So, I underline plan of recovery described in this book. I circled the word plan. That's where that word came from that we defined Above that, I wrote, or on the side, I wrote, the book has a plan of recovery. The book has a plan of recovery. And then I also wrote, why we read. So this book that we're reading currently has a detailed proposal for achieving sobriety. The reason why we read it and study it and take other people through it is because we want to know the plan we want to be able to articulate the plan, and we want to be able to help others with the plan. It says, Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have had experience with the sufferings of our members, I underlined, and have witnessed our return to health. And above have witnessed our return to health, I wrote promise of steps. So the book, and they're specifically talking about medical people who are experts, witnessed our return to health. So that obviously says that we were not healthy when they first were working with us and they watched us get healthy. It says a well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital, specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction, gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. So that's the introduction. And then the letter we're about to read is from Dr. Silkworth, who we're going to get to know. He's one of our greatest benefactors And AA would not be AA without him. He writes, to whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. So I also want to remember when I'm reading this, this is a medical professional who cannot just straight out say, AA works, you need to do this. He's talking from a medical point of view. And he's a man of science who has to look at things and witness them. It says, in late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was, I underlined, an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. And he's referring to Bill W. I wrote next to this, I was too. I was hopeless. I wasn't hopeless in 1934. I was hopeless in leading up to 1999. And um, I met with medical professionals that also felt the same way. And I wrote on the side, the real alcoholic cannot keep from drinking. The real alcoholic cannot keep from drinking. And I wrote that right next to the doctor's opinion, which is that this man, who was a good businessman of good earning capacity, was hopeless. It says, in the course of his third treatment, and I wrote above that, December 1934, so the third time he's being seen by by this hospital, Bill W. says he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. We're later gonna learn that that is from his best one of his buddies, Abby, who he used to drink with, who got the information from the Oxford Group. Ebby came over to his house. He learned about the program of recovery. I underline the next sentence. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. So I underline that, I double underlined the word must. I wrote on the side of the book, Carrying the message of recovery is part of our own recovery. Carrying the message of recovery is part of our own recovery. So that means I can't be sober in AA for ten years, show up at the meeting on my anniversary, make my announcement, get my coin, and come back next year. Because my life is going great and I don't need to go anymore. I need to go to AA and carry this message day in, day out for many reasons. But the book specifically is talking about that part of my recovery is carrying this message to other alcoholics. And... Bill W. was told that by Abby, who was doing that when he was two months sober to Bill. And Bill did that for six months, couldn't get anyone sober, and then found Dr. Bob. And then Dr. Bob and Bill went out to A number three, Bill Dodson. And then they went out to A number four, and now we're at A number 101, which is the reader, which is me, which is you. And nowhere in here does it say, I need to be this many years sober in order to do that. It says, this has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship. I underline the word fellowship. This is the fellowship they're referring to. A fellowship of alcoholics who are recovered or who are working the program and who are carrying the message to others. That's the fellowship they're talking about. Of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. And I circled and highlighted and went crazy about that word again. This is a doctor who specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years, who later is going to identify that we have a physical allergy and a mental obsession, who identifies Bill W. as being hopeless, and now identifies 100 men and women whom he meets through Bill W. as being recovered from the physical allergy and the mental obsession. And he's endorsing this program. He goes on to say, I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom I underlined other methods had failed completely. It says, these facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth. I'm on the next page. Inherit in this group, they may mark a new epic in the annals of alcoholism. I underlined the word epic and I wrote on the side, marking period of time. Marking period of time and I underline annals, and I wrote history. So what they're saying is, what Dr. Silberth is saying is, that this, that this recovery, that this solution, this program of recovery, presented to him in 1934 through 1939, when the book was written, is a marking period in the long, sad history of alcoholism, and that he believes that AA basically is going to be like a line in the sand that's going to change things. It says, these men may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations. I underline the next sentence. It says, you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. I wrote two things here. On the one side, I wrote Silkworth endorsing the general group. Silkworth endorsing the general group. So Dr. Silkworth is saying about these 100 men and women who have appeared to have recovered that you can rely on them because they're recovered. And I've watched them do this work and they're recovered. The other thing I wrote, next to Silkworth endorsing the general group or on the other side, I wrote, make sure when I talk, make sure when I talk that others can rely upon what I say. Make sure when I talk that others can rely upon what I say. So that means when I say I'm going to be somewhere, that that is my word. And unless something comes up and I cannot be there, which if that happens, I contact you and I let you know and I find a different way to make it right, then you need to be able to rely on me. There's two kinds of people in the world and there's two kinds of people I've met in AA when it comes to this. I'm either accountable and reliable or I'm not. It's not, oh, sometimes she shows up and sometimes she doesn't. When that happens, that's called flaky. So sometimes I show up and sometimes I don't. That's not the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a person where you know if Carly says she's going to be there and I don't show up, you are concerned because I'm not there and I didn't call or text you. Both of those kinds of people pay a price to be those people. So the person that is accountable and reliable, like Dr. Silkworth is talking about, pays the price of needing to follow through with what we say, which means sometimes we need to show up when we don't want to, and we need to go places and make sure we're there and we're accountable and we're known for that, which means we need to try to fit our life around what we say we're going to do, and that can be... A lot of work. So that's that price. But with that price comes me being known as somebody who is reliable and accountable, which means when you need help, you can call me and and you know I'm going to be there. The other person, the one that's not accountable, the price they pay is being not accountable. So they are known as not being someone you can go to to ask for help because you're not going to get something consistent. Both of them pay a price. Very truly yours, William D. Silkworth, M.D. It says, The physician who at our request gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views. in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms, and I underlined, What we who have suffered alcoholic torture. I underlined that. And I wrote next to that, Did you? Question mark. So I wrote above, suffered alcoholic torture. I wrote, did you? So did you suffer alcoholic torture? And that's important for me to remember because it's easy when I get cleaned up in these rooms to forget that torture. And that's why when I work with others, I'm constantly being reminded of it. When I'm going through the book and we're talking about it, I'm being reminded of it. It says, what we, have, who, have suff- what we who have suffered alcoholic torture, and I double underline the word must, must believe. And whenever they say must in the book, I pay attention. And I underlined, the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And I wrote on the side, disease concept, next to that part. Disease concept. So I've got a body that is sick and a mind that is sick. We're going to talk about this forever. This is the most important part of step one that I need to hammer into my head, that I need to be able to verbalize to anybody, that I need to be able to communicate in one or two sentences. Basically, I have a body that cannot process alcohol, and I have a mind that tells me it can. So my body cannot safely process alcohol, and I have a mind that believes that it can. And my body will keep physically craving alcohol, From that's called the physical allergy, and my mind when I try to not drink will tell me the lie that I need to pick up a drink. And I've got a body that's going to kill my mind and a mind that's going to kill my body. That is the disease concept. It's also an abnormal reaction. And so on the other side of the paragraph I wrote abnormal reaction and I wrote physical allergy. And we're about to talk about that. So an allergy is an abnormal reaction to anything. My kids love dairy. They drink milk, they eat cheese, they have yogurt, they eat ice cream. It's not an issue. Butter galore. If I have any dairy in anything I eat, I have horrible stomach ache and I'm down for the count. It took me a long time to learn that I have this abnormal reaction and I have a mind that tried to believe that it wasn't true. And it was when I finally got sick and in pain enough that I realized that I cannot have any dairy whatsoever. Because my body processes it differently. And that's an abnormal reaction. When I put alcohol in my body, the abnormal reaction I have is my body physically wants more alcohol. When my husband puts alcohol in his body, his body says, sends him a signal and says, I'm feeling a little sleepy and I'm feeling a little comfortable. I don't want to overshoot the mark and I have to wake up early in the morning and I don't want to fall asleep because I want to watch the game tonight, and I'm only going to have one. It sends a signal to his brain and his brain says, okay, no more. My body sends a signal to my brain and says, I need another one. And after the third drink, it's it's hammering on the bar, I need another one. So my body's abnormal reaction to alcohol when I put it in it is it wants more. I do not physically crave alcohol And my physical allergy is not noticeable unless I put alcohol in my body. So it's only activated by alcohol. It says back in the paragraph, it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking. And I underlined just because we were maladjusted to life. And I underlined that, first of all, because it's kind of like the big books, you know, side ways way of saying oh by the way we know you're maladjusted to life but that's not the reason why you can't control your drinking that's just like another one of your issues it says that we were in full flight from reality which i was i used to have a bumper sticker on my car that said question reality and normal people worry me um and it says or were outright mental defectives it says these things were true to some extent in fact to a considerable extent with some of us that was me But we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, that's the first 100 men and women, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. So I don't know about you, but my solution and my theory of what was wrong with me when I was drinking and using and trying to figure out what was my problem was that I was crazy. I knew something was wrong with my mind. I didn't know it was called a mental obsession. I thought I was crazy and undiagnosed and needed the right medication and needed the right doctor. I had no idea that my body was not reacting the way that it was supposed to and that my body made it so I could not control the amount I put in my body once I started. And it says... The doctor's theory that I underline, we have an allergy to alcohol, and above that I wrote physical allergy. I want to really get comfortable with these terms, physical allergy and mental obsession. It says, the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As layman, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. I underline the next sentence. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. So understanding a night when we had come to the late the afternoon earlier and we said we're not gonna drink again because of what happened the night before, and it'd been a couple of hours and we started getting uncomfortable, and we convinced ourselves that we were just gonna have one or two that night and take it easy. And then we were pounding on the bar or freaking out and going, What happened? And we were downing drinks and or someone near us was like, what happened? I thought you weren't going to party tonight. And we couldn't understand what happened to our resolve. I didn't understand that once I opened up the gates to putting anything in my body that I couldn't control them out once I started. I wrote on the side of the page and it's kind of long, so I'll repeat it. Alcohol does something to our body that it doesn't do to normal people. Alcohol does something to our body that it doesn't do to normal people. One more time. Alcohol does something to our body that it doesn't do to normal people. So when I put alcohol in my body, I have a reaction that other people that don't have my physical allergy have. And then the second thing I wrote, I wrote the word and, and I underlined it. And we can't stay stopped because of my mind. We can't stay stopped because of my mind. So I've got this body that can't control alcohol. If I understand that logically, then I just need to not drink. That would make sense. That's the smart thing to do. If you get sick when you eat dairy, then don't eat dairy and you won't get sick. If you get crazy and out of control and cause harm when you drink alcohol and you can't control it, then don't drink alcohol. That's a great idea, Nancy Reagan, but I have a mental obsession which causes me to not hear that truth anymore, to get my old truth back, which is my memory, which is how much better I feel when I drink, or the lie in my mind that convinces me that I can drink differently this time or control it, or what's the use anyhow, and I pick up a drink because my mind tells me it's the right choice. It says, though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane. I underline the word altruistic. It's something that we're going to be talking about later on in the book. And it means self-sacrificing. So they're going to tell me down the road that I want to become somebody who is altruistic, who is going to do things for other people. It says, we favor hospitalization. That's the first 100 men and women. For the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative, and I underline, that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. I wrote on the bottom of the page, three-day detox. Most medical professionals believe that for alcohol, depending on the quantity and how long we were drinking, the amount of days that someone needs to physically detox from alcohol is between three and seven days. And the book is suggesting that if we do need to physically detox and we need medical attention, we should go get it. They are not suggesting that we're sober for four years, we stop doing the work, we finally pick up a drink, we go out for one weekend, and then we go to a, to a treatment center to detox. Because most likely we will not need a detox. We will need to go back to the rooms and do the work because we know what the solution is and we don't need to be physically removed from alcohol because we haven't gotten ourselves to a place where we need physical detox. It says, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So on the top of this next page, I wrote mental obsession convinces us we can take the first drink. Mental obsession, that's that thought in my mind, that's bigger than all my other thoughts, convinces us we can take the first drink. My mental obsession was not like a neon sign that was like, drink, loser. My mental obsession would say things like, you know what, they're totally being dramatic, or your parents are being dramatic, or you know what, the reason why that happened was because you caught your boyfriend cheating on you, or you know what, you should never drink tequila because you know that you get out of control with tequila. You should just stick to beer. Or you know what, I think you're better off when you're just drinking vodka and when you have a full stomach because when you don't eat all day and then you drink, you're out of control. Or later on, when I get sober, my mental obsession will say things like, you don't need to go to that meeting. That meeting, there's so many people at that meeting, no one's going to even notice if you're not there. Or you don't have time to meditate today, you woke up too late, you'll do it later. Or you don't need to send that inventory because you know what they're going to say because you send that inventory earlier and why do you need to send it again even though you're upset? Or you don't need to pick up that phone, even though you can, because you know what she's going to say and she's so annoying. So these are all little parts of my mental obsession that are trying to get me to get blocked off again so I do not hear my guidance and my truth. Says the doctor writes, the subject, and here's more, Dr. Silkworth the subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. So he's saying, this is really, really important. I wrote on the side the word powerless because people use it a lot in these rooms. I remember my mom, who was seven years sober, turned to me when I was crying. I had um, come from a photo shoot because I was in theater and I was getting my headshots and I physically looked really, really pretty on the outside and I felt, like garbage and like I was dying on the inside she had told me about a girl who she knew through an employee at work who was tragically killed in a car accident I remember thinking how sad that was because her family was so upset and how she was so innocent and I said out loud to my mom it's so unfair that she was killed I wish it was me instead because she wanted to be here and I don't and my mom asked me if I was I thought I was powerless over alcohol and I said I don't know what that means and I was really an intelligent person so I thought in many areas but I did not know what it meant to be powerless and I did not know what it meant because I'd never tried to not drink on my own and that was when my mom started talking to me about what we talk about in these rooms and she said can you go a certain amount of time without drinking or putting anything in your body and I was like I'm sure I can because I'd never tried it. And during that period of time is when I found out what powerless meant because without alcohol in my body, I couldn't physically exist because I was in so much discomfort and my mind was driving me crazy. And without alcohol in my body, my mind was making me believe the lie that the only solution was to pick up alcohol. So underneath the word powerless, I wrote two things. I wrote, can't drink safely. So I wrote, can't drink safely. That's because of the physical allergy. And then underneath that, I wrote, can't keep from drinking. Can't keep from drinking. And the reason why I can't keep from drinking is because of the mental obsession. So I I take alcohol away. I'm five days out, eight days out. I'm so impressed that I've done this. I'm telling everybody I'm sober. Yet, in my mind, all I can think about is how I want to drink. And in my mind, all I can think about is how I'm going to drink later. And I'm not going to tell anybody. And I figure out a plan how I can do that with people still believing that I'm sober. So that's my mind that comes up with that plan. The abnormal reaction that I get when I drink is that... So the people I've spoken to who do not have alcoholism, who I talk to because I talk to them like interviewing an alien. And I say to my husband... What happens when you have, like, two drinks or three drinks if you don't want to have any more? And he says he feels, like, out of control and he feels silly and he feels tired and he's not with it. And he'll say things that he doesn't want to say and he just doesn't have control over himself like he likes to. He doesn't have, like, all of his faculties. I get the exact opposite thing. When I don't have anything in my body and I'm not working a program, I am so unsure of myself. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm saying. I have no confidence. I hate myself. I hate you. I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost. When I put alcohol in my body, my brain gets an in-control feeling when I drink. I feel in control. I feel on top of the world. I feel like I've got this, whatever, like we can do anything. And I like that feeling so much that I overshoot the mark. I want so much more because if I feel this good on three drinks, imagine what seven will do. And I keep drinking and I keep drinking because the physical allergy has been activated and then I can't control it. So it says, I say this after many years experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. So I wrote on the side, endorsing with medical lingo. So Dr. Silkworth is saying, these guys, these 100 men and women, they did a great job. I've been in this field forever, and what they're saying and what they're doing is top-notch. It says, we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology, I underline moral psychology, and above that I wrote spiritual experience. He's saying we need to change our thinking, but I don't know how to access that medically. I don't know how to get them to change their thinking. I've tried it with different experiments and nothing I do is working. And I wrote on the side, they knew there was something wrong with our head. They knew something was wrong with our head, with our thinking. They knew that the way that we thought was not normal, but they didn't know how to address it. He says some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. He's saying we didn't know how to do it. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything... We are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. I underline powers of good, and above that I wrote higher power. So Dr. Silkworth is saying we know that we don't have the kind of powers something bigger than us takes. And above our synthetic knowledge I wrote of medicine. So he's saying medicine is too constricting. We don't know how to fix this with medicine. We're going to stop right here because I want to keep it to 30 minutes and keep my promises. I want to be accountable. Um, We'll pick up next week into The Doctor's Opinion. This is a super juicy chapter. If you haven't figured it out yet, I do not get through many pages at once. The Big Book is dense like dark chocolate. and I want to study it and really delve into it. And I plan on doing this for the rest of my life, so I hope you'll stick with me. I hope you have an awesome day. It's totally your choice. Thanks.